Shit's getting crazy. Revenue's exploding. Yeah. If you know we're gonna hit a fucking wall, just solve the problem. If you know how to, and if you don't, then say it. Ring the fucking alarms. Ring the fucking alarms. I challenge all you motherfuckers listening to this <laughs> to think about what it is that you are the best at and lean into that shit. Love you, baby. Just show just everything. Just show everything. Everything. And that's, that's what we the did. Key word. And so people everything. really started getting interested. They're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, people are like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? I'm Jake the Rover. My life goal is simple. WWE star called Mr. America. My name is Leslie Carls. My nickname is the Panda, and I run this ship. Nick, just Nick. Can I get a midday squares? All right, we are live. Midday Squares Uncensored. We talk about family business, entrepreneurship, chocolate, and whatever fucks are on our mind. Today, we are going to get into the struggles we are going through as a business in scaling. So as you all know, our goal is to get to about $100 million of revenue. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of revenue that we have to do, and we're trying to do it at a really wild speed. And so... We're at a point in the business where we've reached about six million of revenue and we're starting to go into a mode of scale that's that's difficult. So Les and I are gonna kind of just Rochambeau and talk about what that experience is like, what we're going through and where we're trying to go with it. And today is a special show because it's just Les and I in the show. <laughs> Jake is all where's Jake, Les? Jake's in LA. Uh, he keeps calling it a region. Do you notice that? He used the words region. Is he? Yeah, he's like this region. He's so. not really, like, he's he's a weird character. I love it though. I love how he introduces these these words, right? So um, he's in LA uh, opening up the US for us. He's actually coming home next week. Um, I really miss him. I don't know about you, but I, I really- I do, yeah. I do, I must say. And he really, he has FOMO. He misses, he misses home too. Yeah, so Jake talks so much shit all the time. Like, so much. He talk, He is number one of all three of us. He's the least capable of traveling yeah. on his own because he's, he's so for everybody- He's a mama's boy, number yeah, one. Jake still lives at home. So if you haven't listened to our last episodes, um, Jake lives at home with his mother and father, sleeps in a bed full of tutus. Is that what we still no, call toys, it? toys. Tutus, they're not tutus, stuffed animals. They're stuffed animals, yeah. Uh, can't be away from his mother for, I think him and his mother text maybe 56 times a day. Well, Jake goes home, even when he's in Montreal, he goes home every day for lunch. So he talks this big game, Rainmaker, he who brings the deals, but he can never be away from home for more than fucking two seconds. Yeah, he is a prima donna, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I fucking miss him. But yeah, no, uh, scaling is a, a crazy thing. I really didn't know how hard scaling a business really was until we started having to do it, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's, it's really challenging. I have to say. It is. And that's why it's an exciting show today, but you're, we got to fondle the crowd a little bit. We got to fondle the listeners a little bit before we get into the show. You, your face is slimming out. Yeah. I don't even know what the fuck is going on anymore. Every day I look at you, you're slimming out like a, like a machine. What is going on? So um, something I'm really passionate and really excited about is, so for anybody who doesn't know this, and if you haven't seen my video, go to our Instagram and go to my It's Go Time video. I literally pour myself out to the world about my biggest insecurity. And now what is that my biggest insecurity? insecurity is my body. And it has been my entire life because I've been shamed. I've been put down. I've been bullied. Who 
the fuck has shamed you? I will slap them right out. Listen, a lot of people. I, you know, from a young age, actually, when I when I went to summer camp, when I was seven or six years old, um, girls put my underwear on the flagpole. Well, because ladies, big. ladies, if <laughs> you are listening to this podcast, do yourselves a favor. Get yourself in check. Stop fucking bullying people. Stop putting other people down. What, and what worry is, about your and, fucking selves. And what does size have to do with anything? You know, why do people have to shame people because of their size? It really has no meaning, right? The, your size doesn't define you. Babe, this comes down to every type of insecurity we've talked about on the show. People that have insecurities project their insecurities onto you. And Jay-Z said this perfectly. When he was originally around his cruise... There was people in the crew that when he wasn't getting deals or he was talking too big, they would give him advice like, no, that's not the way it's done. You can't do it that way. And he was like in his head, and he said this on so many interviews, he's like, nah, man, it didn't work for you. Oh, I love that. But I'm going to make it work. Mm. And so just because it didn't work for you, don't project your shit onto me. Right. Because that's, that's what insecurities are, is people just project their shit onto each other. I know. And from a young age, I was affected by it. I'm not going to lie. I was very much affected by it. And so growing up, I had many different uh, eating disorders from bulimia, anorexia, to overeating, to binge eating, to all these types of things. And um, I've had a horrible relationship with food in my body. And so back in March... Um, when I was in Peru, um, a trainer uh, from Montreal, shout out uh, Pump Fitness, Val Desjardins, uh, reached out to me. She had saw my breakdown video of my anxiety and, and all that stuff. And she's like, Les, I'm worried about you and your health. You know, not your not your body, but your health. How are you taking care of yourself? How are you worrying about Les during this crazy scaling of your business? And I said, I'm not. I've put myself on the back burner here. I actually don't even think about my health and myself. And she's like, I want to help you. And so in March 2020, we started the It's Go Time Challenge. And we did many different things. And I switched on to a healthier lifestyle and all this stuff, which was really nice. But I actually wasn't physically losing any weight. And I was doing all these workouts and I was training every day. And I was so tired to the point where I had to sleep after the workout. And I realized that I wanted to stop that because I'm like, something doesn't feel right here. You know, I'm too tired to train right now. My body's actually not get, reaping the benefits. And so, you know, you and I, we hired a chef um, to come in. We, we figured out how to make that happen. And we hired the chef to cal count, cal count our meals. And uh, that wasn't even working. For the record, we don't even take salaries here at Midday Square, so we just scraped whatever little savings that we had left, and, make this and we said, fuck it. You know what? If we're all in on Midday Squares anyways, we might as well be all in completely. Well, not And Jim, he said, for yeah. your health and your sanity. You so know. I think we could do a whole show on it, this, So right. and we will do a whole show on this. Most importantly, you look fucking great. Thank you. So basically, to sum it up really quickly, and we, we should do a show on this, because I will. think a we lot will. of people are interested, but um, I'm on Weight Watchers. I'm down 16 pounds and I feel really good. I feel like I finally found something that worked for me, works for me. Um, and I'm on this journey and, and I'm just, I'm slowly getting to where I need to go and I feel fucking good. But you look fucking good. You feel good. And, and that's giving, that's giving that extra pizzazz I see you around the office. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into the main points of this show, but I really been speaking about this idea with a lot of people. And I realized that this question is a really important question. And I would like all of you who are listening to ask yourself this question, because I feel that when I've asked people this question, they, they actually felt stunned and they didn't know how to answer it. 
And I challenge everybody that's listening to ask yourself this question and then obsessively lean in on it. I'm curious to know what this question is. What are you better at than anybody in the world? And it doesn't matter if it has anything to do with midday squares or not. What is the thing that you truthfully believe that you are better at than any single person in the world? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, I really do feel that I'm great at, well, execution. The best. The best. Who are you? The, what are you the best at in the entire world? I'm the best at really coming up with solutions to problems. I would agree with that. Yeah, I really You're a am. fucking machine when, executor. Executor, and when I see something in front of me, I'm, I'm ready when most people are not ready to just jump on it and figure it out, no matter the emotions or anything. Like, I've been in many situations where I'm like, okay, let's, let's solve this problem. People are like, I'm not there yet, you know? Yeah. So I think that's my superpower. I would agree. What's yours? I would say that my superpower is pattern recognition. Oh, so, a thousand percent. So what does that mean? Somebody asked me this. I asked people, and the reason, that's the reason why I'm bringing it up in the show is that I asked this question a lot to people I meet for the first time, and I had never been asked it myself. And then someone returned and said, what are you the best at? And I had to think about it. And, and the truth is, I think I'm better than anybody in the world at seeing patterns and identifying dots that the average person wouldn't be able to identify. So how does something in Broadway theatrics relate to running a manufacturing business? That type of randomness, those cues, picking up on cues that could be cross-pollinated. Right. That's that. I I don't think anybody's better than, sorry, I think I'm better than anybody in the world. I I would fully agree with that. I've seen it happen in (laughs) real time. Like I've actually seen Nick piece things together that no one else would have seen. Um, yeah, I so, totally agree. So, and, and that only really has come in in like the last 24 months where I started to really trust myself on that and, and get into it. So I challenge all you motherfuckers listening to this <laughs> to think about what it is that you are the best at and lean into that shit. A hundred percent. Lean the fuck in. Midday squares started August, 2018, zero dollars. <laughs> We're at six million of revenue right now. We're going mm. for a hundred. Say that number again. Six million of uh, revenue going for a hundred. What is it that is the hardest at where we're at right now? So we're we're at this weird stage. If we've brought up blitz scaling on the show before. Yes. So the founder of LinkedIn has this whole course. Google it. I really suggest you feel it. Now Blitzscaling in and itself was dedicated to technology companies that needed to grow really fast, but it, all the learnings from there could be applied to what, to what you're doing if you're trying to grow really fast. And we are at the tribal stage of, a biz, of our business, and I want to just read what that means quickly. Sure. So at the tribal stage of your business, you're at roughly around, you're, going toward, you're trying to break the $10 million of revenue mark, give or take, whatever. We're at six. You have a full team. You have the capabilities of launching products and engaging customers. And your team's comprised of generalists and a few specialists. You lack management. Yeah. Structure management. You lack management and structure. And that, that is painful. How, how's that been for you in this period? It's been really challenging. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I think I'm going to just speak about us, us three. Like we can't, we have this power of seeing 
everything um, on the micro level of what's actually happening in this business. And that's a, a, a blessing, but it's also a curse because we get really asphyxiated on everything that's happening. But unfortunately, we don't have the resources to be able to fix or solve every problem in the company or make sure everything is up to our standards or make sure that we are managing the way we want to be managing or we're leading or we're building the structure that we need. And I think that creates a lot of anxiety where it could keep you up at night and it can make you feel insecure about you know, your foundation. But I think as you're scaling, I know we've spoken about this before. There's things that have to burn and there's things that you have to fires that you have to put out. Um, you cannot manage it all at, on the, at the beginning of a, of a business, you know, until you have the right leaders coming in to help you manage, you know, you can't do it. It's impossible. So it's the hard decision of figuring out, you know, do we hire? Or, or do we let these things burn and figure them out later as we're scaling? Because you have to pick or choose. You can't do everything. Especially not when you're trying to hyperscale. That is the biggest piece here, is that you're constantly in attention of not having enough revenue to manage the resources that you exactly. need. And then as an entrepreneur, you feel this extreme anxiety. And when I feel anxiety, I turn to reading. That's what I do. I always turn yep. to reading. And I, I start to read the greats that have blitzscaled, and you realize that they've went through it. And as an entrepreneur, you always have this feeling that you know, so, so other people know something that you don't. Right, exactly, which is false. It's actually false. Yeah. And I could give a good example of this. I, I'll never forget in my last company, we, we were scaling, not trying to scale as quick as midday squares, but we were scaling. We were having some management issues. Of we didn't have like a full top line management team. So you had stragglers of employees that did, weren't getting the intention that they needed. And I never, uh, I'll never forget, I, I reached out to a buddy of mine who was a CEO they, of a company that had 150 employees. They just raised $35 million. And I really thought that they would have the answer. I never forget, I pick up the phone and I call him and he's like, you know, what can I help you with? I'm saying, this is what we're going through. Um, he's like, I'm like, could you show me how you're handling this problem? I was, I was shook. Number one, the first answer was, we don't even have that fucking figured out. That's my constant number right. one struggle was the number one answer I got. Number two, they were managing the chaos on, on basically an Excel spreadsheet. And I realized at that moment, wow, we're all trying to figure out the same shit. There is no real paved road to how to deal with this. No. And then I was reading deeper on Reed Hoffman and all that, and they went through the same pains. And the answer was that they had to give up a lot to, to, to grow the company. And, have to, and, and in that area of blitzscaling, growing, um, they were extremely, there, there was issues. There was major issues. So I want to give one example, and, and then I want to turn it over to you on the thoughts on this is basically at, Link, uh, sorry, at Google, at one point, they were growing so fast and they were so, um, they were so limited on their staff yeah. that they didn't have time to do the hiring process properly. Yeah. That, they didn't yeah. <laughs> because every, anybody that's going through it knows that the hiring process is a long, tedious process. Minimum three to four months. How much have you, what have you learned in the hiring process uh, so far? It's, it's crazy. So 
you know, for me, we were in the middle of hiring a videographer and um, Kara is actually doing all the hiring. Kara is our showrunner producer. And, you know, we're exhausted from the hiring process. And there's times where she's really down and she feels, you know, unmotivated. And I and, and she, you know, she'll say, let's let's look at this candidate. You know, they have good. I'm like, Kara. We're not there yet. And it's hard for me to even say that because I feel the way she feels. I just want someone in here. But what do you we, mean? Is that some of the candidates you start making a candidate that's not really yeah, good you enough? You start making feel like they're good enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You start saying, OK, well, we can mold them or you we cut can, corners. You cut corners. Right. Because you're exhausted. You're tired. You're you need someone. Right. The, the, the actual work in the office is lacking. Right. We're uh, behind on content. We're behind on this. Everybody else has to pick up the, the pieces for this missing person. And it really affects the workflow. So it is easy for us to say, OK, let's just bring this person in and let's see what what happens right cut corners but as a manager i need to to build the strength to say even though i'm exhausted too that hey we need to we're, we're gonna wait we're gonna push through even to the point where i've grabbed the camera in the last few weeks yeah. you know i just i've been grabbing the camera and filming because we have to do what we have to do we have to wait for the right person because it's that that crucial crucial to the culture at Midday Squares and to the performance of, of the work. Anybody listening, I mean, never cut quarters on hiring because it is your most crucial thing. But so it's easier said than done. It is. So Google had this problem. Right. How the fuck do we hire a thousand people and keep our standards high? And they didn't have an answer. And so yeah. they tried something radical. They basically said, we are going to go after hyperintelligence. So you had to graduate at the top of your class and have the highest GPA. They knew that that limited there. So Natalia, who's our controller here, and I were speaking about that the other day, uh, said they would have probably missed us, right? Right, because, exactly. Yeah, they yeah. would have missed us because we don't, number one, I didn't even finish university. I, have, I still have five credits for everybody listening. I, gotta I go graduated back. high school. <laughs> and so they would have missed us. But at the end of the day, this is what they said. We're going to miss great people, but we need speed. And I, we need some type of filter to make sure that we're getting people in here at hyperspeed. So basically anybody in the field that had a ridiculously high GPA and high in the class, they would just shoot offers to. No interview, no nothing. Then when the person would come, they would ask them who's the two smartest people that they know, and they would shoot offers to those people with no interviews. And they basically said, if we bring on enough intelligent and emotionally intelligent people, they will field out the cancer themselves. We have no choice but to put a bunch of people in a room and let it all figure itself out, right? You're going to get some cancerous people in there. You're going to get some great people. Um, And it hurt the culture for a little bit in there because some shitty people made it through the door. Right. But they had no choice, Right, which goes back to the point of letting fires burn. But we also did that at the beginning of our business. We had no choice. We just hired because we needed hands. Bodies. Yeah, we needed bodies. And then we realized how important culture is. Um, but listen, you got to do what you got to do when you're scaling, right? It's either that or the company goes under. Oh, 100. Right? For the record, Google doesn't even have a, you don't even need a university degree anymore to, to work. Exactly. They you, you figure things out, right? As you go and you come back. And that's why I think, you know, when we're talking about managing HR, uh, scaling systems, foundations, I always say like, okay, 
that is something I do believe we can come back to. You know, I think there's to a point you obviously I think that we've done a pretty good job at building the foundation here. Do we have a lot of work to do? Yes. An okay job. I would we've say. done an okay job. But I think, you know, we don't have enough managers, obviously. We have none. Well, Let's talk about yeah, it. I mean, You're the only manager that's like actually. And I'm not even a full time manager. Right. But but yes, I agree. I think we've done an OK job at um, stabilizing the ship. So I want to give a takeaway for the listener. Yeah. And this is something you and I are struggling with. And guys. If you're listening and you have the answer to this, please reach out. It's middaysquares.com slash podcast questions. I really do want to hear from you. We're scaling, okay? And we need people that are using first principles thinking. And the reason is, is because when you're scaling fast, you need people to make decisions. But the problem is, is that people come into an organization and don't necessarily have the tools or trust themselves because of the way society, school, and all that. I'm the perfect example. Okay, well, a like, first explain. principle thinking. Well, my whole life, I was kind of, you know, told that my way of thinking and the way I looked at things and the way I did things was wrong. Yes. Um, for for basically my whole life until I moved out of my kind of community in my house and stuff, you know. Um, I have been using first principle thinking uh, for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, it's a perfect example. This is a really easy example, I think, for us to explain is you and I sleeping in separate bedrooms, yes. right? We've made that decision based on first principle thinking. We want to have the best possible sleep. For us, that is not sleeping with another person. That is sleeping in your own room with controlled temperature the way you like it, to the covers, the sheets, the lighting. It's sleep time. It's sleep time. It's not playtime. So we've made that decision not because our marriage is bad, not because we're worried what society is going to think. We've made it based on first principle thinking, which is we want the best possible sleep. How do you have that? And so... I've, I've derived many of my, um, thoughts and, and ways of life from that. And I've just had a lot of pushback because it's not what society thinks, or it's not what we've been told, or it's not what other people have been doing. And I think, you know, we just spoke about it last night. Be okay with being misunderstood for a very long time as you're trailblazing. If you want to be a trailblazer you and you're not okay with being misunderstood, then just stop right now. But I, I want to take it home. Yeah, take Re- it home. Very important for, for the audience to also help us potentially is we're in a position right now. So let's set the stage. You have Jake, Les, and I, who are, let's call it, at, you know, the, the founders of the company and are supposed to be leading in a certain way. But we're still at a point where we all are executing. Yeah. And we're great executors of what we're doing. Now we have this team that's building. We're almost, how many people are we at the company? 37. 37 people. So we have this infrastructure that's building of people below. And you're starting to bring in groups that have hierarchies in it. And so you're confronted with a management system of either being a hierarchical management system or a flat management system, which is like, really, there's no managers per se. So Google has always modeled themselves after being flat. Microsoft has historically been hierarchical. And so the answer right now is we feel that we are not giving all of our team members the attention that they need. And we feel scared, nervous, and stressed about that because mistakes are happening. But then we know that the time that we need to put into management actually is 
time that we could be putting into other parts of the business and execution that are really the winning formula for yes. Monday Squares, which is expansion, growing revenue, because revenue, at, I don't care what anybody says, revenue solves everything. Yeah, that's what I, I agree to. But the easy answer is put in management levels. I don't know if that's the answer. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a tough question because to spend more money, right, and to bring people in at this current stage when our revenues are not where we want them to be yet might not be the right move, right? But then we're not sure. And I think that's where we're, you and I keep Rochambeauing about going back and forth about what to do. Do we let it be flat and kind of let those mistakes just burn? Just burn for now while we grow revenue, while we build this business and expand into USA? Or do we take the time? to hire the right management to bring them in to help the team and make sure we could catch those small mistakes before they happen. I'm, I'm, you know, you know where I stand is, you know, we- Where do you stand? (laughs) Well, I, I think right now for the next year, we, we focus on growing the revenue and putting our efforts into growing this business. And I think we need to have an open discussion with our team and see where are we at, guys? Do you feel like you're not supported enough? We have a round table with our team. Do you feel you're not supported enough? Do you feel that we're under-resourced? Do you feel you need more people on your team? We hear it from them first. You're you know, right. like when I turn to manufacturing, I go to my production squad and I say, I ask them because they're doing it every day, right? So they know better than me. I'm there to give them tools and 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 help be make everything efficient and 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 push forward, you know, and grow, but they know from the day to day what's going on. They might tell me, Les, we're overstaffed. They might, and and that's fucking with our hours. Or they might tell me we're understaffed. We need an extra person. So here's the mind fuck though. Yeah. I love mind fucks. People always say, well, you gotta, you gotta trust the system. When you're growing, you got to trust your infrastructure. Yeah. But here's where I struggle. I, I don't trust the infrastructure, to Yeah, I neither do I. <laughs> but not because I don't trust people. I'm just not sure people have fully the tools yet to succeed. And like, like, we're a really young team. Yes. And, and like I said, I don't trust the way society set humans up. I would agree with that because most people are not using first principle thinking. Yeah. So what happens is... And our producer, when we were preparing for the show, Kara again, asked me, well, why don't you trust the team? It's not that I don't trust the team. It's every now and then you peek in <laughs> and there's this thing that is not solved that comes to bite our company in the ass. But that's super easy to solve. Super easy to solve. But maybe all, not to everybody. Not to everybody. All the answers are there. The information's there. To solve but it. But humans don't know how to extract that information to solve the problem. That's the problem. Or they're like, well, you told me that we were going to solve this problem. And then I was telling uh, Kara, I'm like, I did say that, you know, this was an example. And, and you guys know who had this conversation with me. I love you. It's, it's all, it's all Gucci, but this is an example you see. So one of our team members saw that we were going to hit a wall. And we had had management meetings where I did need to get something going. But because I'm so pulled in so many different directions, that thing was not coming. It wasn't a fire that you needed to burn right away. Yes. But this person didn't realize that, okay, well, if Nick's not going to do it, I'm going to... Let it burn. No, I'm going to just solve it myself. No, they didn't think like that. They didn't think like that. So they saw that we were going to hit a wall. They knew that they were waiting on me for something. They were in the car with me and they were okay letting the car smash the wall. 
Right. Rather than just taking over the wheel. Figuring out how to solve it. That's the confidence that is hard to instill in a team at mass scale of just, if you see we're going to hit a wall, I don't care what division and what company you're in. I don't care if it's your job, not your job. Why would you let us hit a wall? Yeah, take the initiative and solve it. The information's there. And this is a perfect example of communication and verbalizing, which we will get into um, because it's really important in this whole piece. And I think this will take us full circle. In the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell studied, there was an extreme, I can't remember if it was Japanese or Chinese, forgive me if I'm wrong on it, but it's one of the two. There was an extreme cases, there was an extreme amount of cases of planes crashing. Mm Mm-hmm. And they wanted to go study, you know, these were planes that were being flown in North America, other parts, South America that weren't crashing. Mm -hmm. And so the question was, why was there so many crashes happening in this part of the world with the planes that were still being flown in other parts of the world that weren't crashing? And it all came down to the culture of hierarchy. And the co-pilot, in a lot of the cases that they did the aftermath study of the black box, the recordings, everything... It came down to a lot of the times the co-pilot actually knew that they were about to crash. But didn't say anything. But didn't say anything because they felt that their commander knew better and he must be, he or she must be seeing something that they're not seeing. And they didn't speak up. And they let the plane crash. That's messed up. Multiple times. That's really fucked up. That's disturbing. But that's how powerful this idea of hierarchy exactly. is. So then that it people comes, get scared to do take the wheel. But then that comes down to us as leaders to have this roundtable talk where we give the permission. Because sometimes people just need permission. Yes. Right? And so it's that conversation that's saying like, hey, this is how we want to run these things. And you know what? It is in our core values, but I think at the end of the day, we need to have these meetings every month almost to just remind people that you're here for a reason and shit's getting crazy. Fucking Revenue's run, run exploding. With it. Yeah. Don't let us hit walls. Exactly. If you, even if your manager says they're going to get back to you or the person you look up to said, like, just if you know, we're going to hit a fucking wall, just solve the problem. And if, if you know how to, and if you don't, then say it. Yeah. Just and like, be, communicate it. Ring the fucking alarms. Ring the fucking alarms. Exactly. What I'm going to say a statement. You tell me, what does this mean to you? Okay. Communicating versus verbalizing. Oh, easy. Uh, communication is actually, um, distilling like what you're thinking, like what you're trying to get across. Verbalizing is basically just identifying something, not identifying, using words. Exactly. Like, but we always talk about this, how language was not designed to communicate. It was designed to identify cup, earphones, mic, right? It was an extension of hieroglyphics, really. Right. When When you look at it, you know, when you look at it, uh, our evolution from that is, is it's, um, it's an abstract for being able to identify things quickly. Exactly. That's what, what language was created for. Right. It was never created for the communication of emotion. To humans, exactly. Communication is very hard for me. I work on it often, but it's still really hard for me. Like when I have to communicate to a team member, I actually go through a lot of stress. Like I, you know this, right? Yes. You see me go through it. I go home. I get stressed about the topic. Um, I usually have to go for a therapy, like a, a coaching session. therapy session, which I'm really privileged to be able to have, right? Like 
we don't get that, give that to our team yet. We want to, but ultimately I have to go through this whole process of writing out how I feel because I, I'm still learning to communicate to people that I'm, I'm working with. Communicating to Nick or Jake is easy for me. It is very easy because I'm comfortable with you guys. You are my family. You're my husband. You're my brother. We've shot bullets at each other. We've shot, exactly. We've had really, really, really hard conversations. I'm not scared to have them anymore. But when I'm with a team member, all of a sudden I feel like, I feel weird telling somebody something I see about them. Like if it's about their character or about their performance or about their, you know, the way they work. Like I've had times in the past where I've had to tell people, you know, you, you know, you made sexist comments or that, you know, you're, you're, you have a brute force management. And these are really awkward conversations for yeah. me to have. Or you're not pulling your weight. Or you're not pulling your weight. You're actually not performing for what you said. Like what you said you could do is not what you're doing. And what you asked for to be paid in is what I paid you, but it's not adding up. And so having those conversations is very, very hard and makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. But I, I, what I've learned to do and I'm getting better and I hate having these conversations. I hate firing people. I hate having hard conversations because they're fucking uncomfortable. And everybody thinks just because you're in this management role that it's easy for you to have a hard conversation or communicate, but it's not. It's so never what easy. I started doing is actually writing out um, in memo format exactly what I'm thinking and feeling. And then I give it to my team member and I say, you can either you know, take some time now to read it or we can have this conversation tomorrow. But it's been a lot easier for me to do that um, by writing through words. It it is. And the reason why I brought this subject matter up is because it ultimately comes down to as you're blitz scaling, you're not just scaling an organization Mm -hmm. from a uh, operational standpoint. You actually have to teach people the tools if you really want to build an organization that's flat, that yes. doesn't have all this bureaucracy that's built into it. Because you and I are so gung-ho at building an organization that is not bureaucratic. Oh, big That time. doesn't have 100 million management levels, that moves quick, that can execute. It goes back to brute force management versus empathy management. I hate brute force. But it's easier. Of course it's easier. And running a business and just throwing hierarchy in is easier. It's the same thing like choosing brute force. But it ruins the culture. It ruins the culture and it actually bloats you. It slows you down. I'm opening a fucking bank account right now at at a bank in Canada. And it's like fucking four months that I've been going back and forth for a fucking checking account. Um, Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. How are they ever going to compete in the new world? The only reason why the four or five big banks even fucking succeed in Canada is because they have a monopoly. There's no actual competition. Right. In our world, we don't have that. We have to move at speed. We, sorry, we have to move fast. We have to innovate. Mm-hmm. And so it is our duty to teach people how to communicate because verbalizing, opening your fucking mouth and having shit just come out of it is not communicating. Right. And so many people think that that's communicating. Oh, well, I had, I talked to him. I said something. I talked to her. I said something. Just because yeah. you open your mouth doesn't mean you communicate it. Exactly. Even when they're talking about a problem that needs to be solved, you know, it's not communicated properly. So people don't really understand. But exactly. I think people are not used to having hard conversations or identifying. Even when I have problems, HR problems, people come to me first. I'm like, why? Why did you come to me first? Yeah. Speak to your teammate. They don't want to have a hard combo. Yeah. Because then they come to me and they say, don't say anything. And I say, well, I can't do that. You know, we need to have this out. Otherwise, you're going to stink up the whole environment. So to take it full circle, 
to everybody that's listening, I think Les and I are really, Les, Jake and I actually, he's not here, but we've had this conversation, are committed to blitzscaling this company and growing it at hyper speeds using first principles. Yes. And Communication, first principles, and and and, and coaches. And coaches. And, but really coming up with our solution, and I know we have some pretty wild uh, ideas of how to scale and make sure our team members feel that they're equipped with it. And we'll be back for another show. That's the beauty about this. But I really think including the team and we're going to try. We're going to do it. Know, no, I'm yeah. so pumped about it. And let everybody know what worked out is, you know, including people, be inclusive in your decision making. Obviously, you don't have to do that all the time. But when you're speaking about what the team needs, what makes sense more than to ask the team? Oh, fuck. I have nothing left to add to that. And so the beauty about this show is you guys get to be on the roller coaster with us. We're figuring it out. And like I said, if you have any ideas, hit us up. More importantly, as we finish the show, I think the idea is that we all as humans really need to use first principles a lot more. Can you explain what first principle thinking is? It's reasoning up from your own ideas and, and really truths. And so understanding that people before you, whether they have experience or not, may or may not know the true answer and don't accept anything for that's the way it is. Really thinking about it through. The best way to describe it, Elon Musk, everybody said the electric battery was impossible to lower in cost. Um, and he that said it would, why. And, and exactly. And that it would never be able to compete with petroleum uh, or natural uh, resource-based uh, type of energy. And all he did was a simple idea exercise. He found out all the inputs that are required to make a battery for a car. He then took literally all the inputs, wrote it down on a paper, how much they would need of those inputs. So whether it be lithium, different metals, like the raw materials, the, literally the core materials, iron, that you would need to build this battery. Right. He went on the open market. So he went on uh, the commodity exchange, got the prices for each of those things and added it up to a total. He then looked at the total and realized that the total of the raw materials needed to make a battery were like a magnitude less than what people were selling batteries for. And so it was apparently obvious that this was an engineering problem. Mm. People just had not thought about a new way to engineer these materials. It wasn't that the materials were expensive. were expensive. It was that how they were putting together the materials were expensive and knew that this was an engineering problem that could be solved. Right. That's first principles thinking. I love that. And you all... Listening, need to work from first principles. Assume that nobody knows anything, even if the person you idolize the most is telling you this is the way it is. If you find out that they're telling you that's the way it is just because, question it. Yeah. Question and, 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 and look at everything. Like, you know, fact check. Fact check it. Ask and, why. And reason up. On that note. Everybody go out, have a great fucking week. Les, it was a pleasure doing the show with you. Love you, baby. All right. <laughs> Three, two, one. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole.
Midday Squares Uncensored. That's a wrap. As always, middaysquares.com slash podcast questions. We will see you on the next one. Let's go. 